Let's go and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you. We ask you to bless this time as we open your word. Give us the anointing of what you would want us to hear from this. In your son's precious name, amen. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. But I would that you shall understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bounds in Christ are manifest in all, all the palace and in all other places, that many of the brethren of the, in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We're going to stop there because this is called Paul's encouragement that he's looking at. And remember, we've talked about this. Paul is in prison in Rome when he writes this letter. Matter of fact, he's facing execution. And he's going to die within six years of this, this letter. He stays in prison for quite a while. Much of that time he's put under house arrest. So he, it's uh, kind of like our day when you get a, the ankle bracelet and you're told not to leave your house. And he was told you can't leave your house. And he had the Roman guard, four Roman guards with him all the time. And, you know, we talked about that, how Paul, and in this verse he references this, how, how he enjoyed having these Roman soldiers uh, strapped to him. Uh, he had a captive audience. <laughs> yeah. How would you like to have a captive audience if you were telling people the gospel? You know, uh, you're chained to me and you can't leave. <laughs> no matter what I say, you're going to have to stand here and listen to it. You know, that might make some people bold, it might scare some people, but Paul it made very bold. And he says, I would have you understand, brethren, that the things that have happened to me are for, have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. When bad things happen to you, do you look at it as a good thing to serve God or you look at it as a thing that's going to keep you from serving God? Paul looks at it and says, hey, I'm in prison, but that's okay. God's word is still being lifted up. I'm in prison, but people are still hearing the gospel. I'm in prison, but God's doing it so that the gospel is advanced. Do you realize that sometimes when you go through something really hard in your life and you walk through that storm with God's strength, the world looks at you and will be impressed enough to maybe probably go, I want to know something more about that God. That God who gives you the strength to go through these hard times. In Thessalonians, Paul says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus in you. When bad things happen, do you give thanks? Or do you mumble and complain? Oh, there's another bad thing happening to me. The world mumbles and complains. We as Christians should be going, Okay, God, thank you. I don't understand it maybe, but I, I, I'm going to thank you. Something is good going to happen from this. Something good will happen. Not necessarily for our good, but something good will happen. When you go through some crazy event and the world watches you. When I was working in restaurants and I was managing, and we'd have a really hard night, inevitably, especially new people would come up and go, how do you stay calm during all of this chaos going on? And I go, I am so glad you asked that. <laughs> Let me tell you about my God. <laughs> I was manager. I couldn't tell them about God unless they opened up the door. <laughs> At the prison, I can't really open up the idea of talking about God unless they open the door. But once they open the door, I'm going to take full advantage of it. How does that door get opened? Well, they might just out of the blue ask you about it, but that's not usually what it is. They usually see something that makes them say, why are you different? Why are you different? Why, when you got your car hit, were you more worried about the person who hit you being okay rather than your car? 
Well, the car is a thing. They're, they're eternal. Why is it when we go through hardships and we can come through with joy and, and peace, do people notice? Because the world is looking for joy and peace. You know, so often we look at the world and we become envious of the world sometimes. Well, they seem to have everything. Look at that movie star. They've got the, the five cars in their garage and the big mansion and the servants and they're famous and they should be happy as they're on drugs and alcohol and, and everything else trying to still find happiness because what we thought might bring happiness and what they thought might bring happiness doesn't bring happiness and joy. And then they turn around and they look at a Christian who has nothing, who's learned to be content. Being content in Christ with whatever you have. And people look and go, how can you be joyful? How can you be, how can you be able to get through all these things? And you have nothing because we have everything. In reality, we have Christ. And because we have Christ, we have everything. We have peace. We have joy. We have contentment. And we have all of our needs met. Now, sometimes we confuse needs and, and wants, but all of our needs are met. And you know what? Because he's a good father, God sometimes meets lots of our wants. As long as we're not going to confuse that. And always look to him to be given glory. This is what Paul's saying. I'm in bonds, but God is giving glory. His gospel is being raised. They, they thought by putting me into prison, the churches would stop growing, and they're still growing. And people are getting bolder because I'm staying bold in the, in the prison. And, in, and he says here in verse uh, 13, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest to all the palace and all in all other places. This is one of his reference. The palace people are getting saved. <laughs> Why are they getting saved? Well, he's got two guards strapped to him all the time for four hours a day. Can you imagine being strapped to a preacher if you're not a Christian? <laughs> you know, especially an evangelistic preacher like Paul was. <laughs> How many times would you hear the gospel each day? And you're looking at somebody who's learned to be content. Most of the time when they were strapped to a prisoner, it was all this, oh, woe is me, it's terrible, and, and, and sadness. And Paul is, come on, we got people to go talk to. <laughs> we got to go talk to these people. We got to go share Christ. Is that our attitude when we are with people? Are we wanting to share Christ with them? How many times in the day have you gone through a day without sharing Christ to anybody? As Christians, that's not what we're told to do. Jesus on the Great Commission said, go and make disciples of the whole world. That wasn't talking just to the disciples in front of him. It was to all Christians everywhere that we need to share the gospel of Christ. And we've shared it with you. It's a real hard message to give. We're sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus died for us. All we have to do is accept him. You can give the gospel in 30 seconds. Now, it may take a little longer to explain it, but the gospel is only about a 30-second presentation to people. Now, you can add your testimony to somebody. I got saved. Well, it's real easy. I can tell you my testimony really quick. When I was 10 years old, I was in junior church, and I heard the message of Christ that I needed a Savior, and I went forward, and I became a Christian. And it changed my life. And in my family, 
at my house, there was no Christians in my house. I was going to church on my own or however I could get to, wherever church I could get to. When I came back, my dad tried to find out if I really knew what I had done as much as he didn't understand Christianity. He asked me as many questions as he possibly could to see if I had made a real decision because one thing he did know about Christianity was it wasn't something you did and then stopped. It was a commitment. And he was satisfied that at least at 10 years old, I understood it as best I could. And he got saved two years later. But you know, what is our testimony? Can you present your testimony on how you came to Christ to people in under a minute? Just a quick summary of how you got there. So when somebody says, well, how do you know that God's real? You know, I understand that God's real scientifically, but that gets into a long, long you know, discussion with people. But you know how I really know that he's real? He lives in my heart, and he talks with me, and he guides me, and he leads me, and he provides for me. I'm like, Paul, he was in prison, but he goes, I know God's here. I know God. Do you know God in that way, that you're so desperate with him that you know for an absolute fact that he indwells you and has changed your life? You need to. Because in James we're told, you know, you believe in Jesus, you do well. The demons believe. The devils believe. Just believing in Jesus is not what gets us into heaven. It is literally putting our trust in him. And that's what that word means when it says believe in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him. What does it mean to put your trust in him? Well, if you sit down in a chair, you put your trust in that chair. Okay, and we've all shared with you, there's chairs I won't sit in because I look at them and say, I don't trust that chair. I trust God with all my heart to be the one who's going to keep me and provide for me. How do we know whether we trust him? When we're in the hard places, do we do what he tells us to do? Are we desperate for him? Are we desperate for his word? Are we filling our life with his word? You know, this is so important, and we keep pushing the reading the Bible every day. St study your Bible is the next step. Okay? It's great to be reading the Bible. That's the first step, and if I can get everybody to at least do that, you're ahead of the majority of most Christians out there who have, have never read their Bible through. It's amazing how many times I have talked to somebody who's been a Christian for, for decades and talked to him about, well, how much of the Bible have you read? Well, I've read uh, Matthew, Mark, uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John a few, few times. Read a little bit of Revela uh, Re uh, Romans. Well, have you read, uh, read Genesis? Well, have you read Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah? Well, no, never got into those books. And it's an amazing thing when, you, when people make a decision to read through the Bible, here's what they do. They start in Genesis. Genesis is a real easy book. They make it through Genesis, no problem. They start reading Exodus. Exodus starts out as a very exciting book, and then about the middle of it starts to be very hard to read. Then they hit Leviticus. <laughs> and maybe they trudge their way through Leviticus. <laughs> Usually they'll stop at Leviticus. But if they manage to make it through Leviticus, they hit Numbers. <laughs> And when they hit Numbers, they stop reading. Because <laughs> Numbers is a hard book to read through. Now, we want to be careful about that. And, I'm, and I say this in kind of a tongue-in-cheek because I know I did it myself. I grew up, I grew up the same way. I, you know, I grew up trying to read the Bible and stopping it about Leviticus and then Numbers. But, you know, we want to learn to read the Scriptures and understand what they say. And when we start understanding what they say and the Spirit starts teaching us, some of those books are interesting. 
You know, just like a couple weeks ago when we spent three weeks on Genesis 10, which is all a bunch of numbers and dates and names that nobody wants to read. <laughs> and we spent three weeks on that. Why? Because there's so much information in there once you grow enough to be able to see what's there or have a teacher to help give you enough patience to learn how to, how to go through it. But we look at, are we hungry for God's word? Can you go for the whole week without reading the Bible and not be starving spiritually? If you can, you've got a problem. Yeah. That's the same thing as if you tried to go the whole week without eating. Can you do it? Yeah, you can do it. No. It's tough. It's tough to not eat physical food. It should be just as tough not to eat spiritual food. Not to spend time with God should be a hard thing in our life because the Spirit should be desiring that. And Paul's saying the palace is getting to know about the gospel. And by the way, other places. <laughs> yeah. The palace, the, the, the senators, the rest of Rome, and all the rest of the world are hearing about the gospel because he was, he was writing out letters all, all the time to the churches. He had plenty of time on his hand. He wasn't preaching and teaching at a church. So the only time he talked to people was when they came and say, saw him, but he dictated his letters. And the soldiers heard every word that was dictated. <laughs> and probably when the secretary got done writing out what he dictated, it was probably read back to him saying, did I get it right? So now they heard it twice. <laughs> and then they would hear any corrections. <laughs> you know, got to feel sorry kind of for those four soldiers who had to had to hear the gospel so many times. But many of them got saved, so it was a good thing. It was a really good thing. And it says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul was saying, others are hearing about what's going on. They're hearing about my imprisonment and how I'm preaching to, the, to all the guards in the palace. And it's making them confident and bold. Confident and bold. You know the only way to get confident and bold in sharing the gospel is to go do it. <laughs> you can sit there and try to plan out what you're going to say from now till 100 years from now. But until you get out and actually do it, you don't get any confidence. And this is something that I want to share with you. It's important to go out and share the gospel with people. Well, what if I mess it up? Well, at least they heard part of it. <laughs> at least they've heard something. Well, what if they ask me something and I don't know how to answer it? I've shared with you many times. That's the best thing that can happen to you. Because your answer to them, when they ask you something you don't know how to answer, is a real simple. I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to go find out the answer. Can we meet again? whenever it's convenient for you guys both to meet. Now you get to share the gospel with them twice. All because they asked you what you most feared. What if they ask me a question I don't know? And I can tell you, I've been through lots of evangelism classes, and every time I have one, there's always somebody that goes, what happens when they ask you something you don't know? So I know that everybody in this room has either had that question or still has that question. What if they ask you something they don't know? And I'm going to tell you it's the best thing that can happen. All you have to do is look at it as the best thing that can happen. Because they're trying to stop you. They're trying to stop you from sharing the gospel by asking you some usually off-the-wall question. <laughs> and sometimes they are off-the-wall questions. They may say something, well, what about all the contradictions in the Bible? 
And you know, when, people, when Christians get that, most of the time, when they hear, what about all the contradictions of the Bible, they stop and they don't, don't uh, respond to it. I'm going to give you a very simple question, answer for them. When somebody says, what about the contradictions in the Bible, you say, name one. You know what? I've used that many, 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 many times. <laughs> and here's what I get back. Well, there's lots of them. No, I go, name one, because I know there aren't any. <laughs> We need to be bold as Christians and challenge back. When they ask us crazy questions, we need to challenge back and find out exactly what they mean. Because it's not that hard. The gospel message is simple. And make sure you get the gospel message in there. We're sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus died for us. All you need to do is accept him. Because the gospel is what they need. We're not out there inviting them to church. We're not inviting them to be good. We're not inviting them to get better. We're probably not even trying to intellectually argue them into the kingdom because that doesn't work either. Because if I give them all the intellectual answers that to, to their questions, they're just going to go out to their next smart buddy and say, well, this is what they said, and they go, oh, yeah, but you needed to ask this, 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 and this, which would have been answerable, but they're now, now no longer talking to you. So somebody else is going to intellectually talk them out of it. It's not the way to be talking to them. Now, I'm not saying don't answer their questions. <laughs> Intellectually, we're not going to argue somebody into the kingdom of God. It comes down to, you are a sinner. Once they accept they're a sinner, they're going to need somebody to save them. You deserve punishment. Now, that's a message that the world doesn't want to hear today. Oh, you're just judging me. No, God says that if you sin, you deserve hell. Jesus paid that price. And you need to accept it. How do we present it? Do we just rattle off these words without any meaning? No, we need to really mean it. We need to be sad that the people are headed to hell. Hell should motivate us to witness to people. Because hell is eternal. Hell is eternal punishment for their decision against God. They are going to choose hell. And it's an eternal place of extreme punishment. It was created for Satan and the demons and God says humans will go there only because they reject Jesus Christ. That should motivate us. We shouldn't want an enemy to go to hell because of how severe it is. I've suffered from gout pain, and I've said many times, I wouldn't wish this pain on anybody. Even somebody I didn't like, which I can't think of anybody I don't like that much, but even if I had somebody that I didn't like, I wouldn't want that kind of pain to wish on them. Hell is worse than that. Hell is something that we should be motivated to witness to people to because if they don't get saved, they will spend eternity in hell. Especially our family. Do you have family members that you haven't witnessed to that are going to spend eternity in hell possibly because you don't have the courage to go talk to them, to witness to them? Are they going to accept all the time? Probably not. Most people don't. Jesus said that many will reject him. Narrow is the gate into heaven. It's Jesus Christ and him alone, and very few people are going to want to accept that. Because if you ask people, well, are you a Christian? And most people in America will say, yes, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm a pretty good person. Sorry, that's not what a Christian is all about. Well, I go to church. That's not what being a Christian is all about. My mom and dad were Christians. That's not what being a Christian is all about. It's kind of funny the things you hear people say when they say, 
I'm a Christian? Or do you think you'll go to heaven? Yeah, well, I hope I'm going to go to heaven. I hope my good outweighs my bad. Sorry, God says one sin's enough to send you to hell. We need to really understand this and share the gospel with people. Yeah. We, were, we were talking on the way up here with Annie and talking about how this generation that we're living in now has morals that are not even close to what most of us were raised up, even if we weren't in the church. You know, they have no problem with living together outside of marriage. They have no problem with hooking up with one another and committing fornication on a, on a daily basis with somebody that they're not married to and don't plan to get married to. They have no problem with lying to people. They have no problem with manipulating people. They don't see anything wrong with it at all because they're so stuck in the way the world thinks. Now, the older generation has some problems, whether they're Christian or not, have some problems because there were morals in our, the Christian morals in, our, in those days. But even amongst the older people, we're seeing them so infiltrated with this mindset that they're not following them either. We, are, as Christians, are going to stand out like a, like a sore thumb, you know, sticking up, you know, that we're different if we're living godly. Just as it was in the Roman Empire when it started. You realize how different Christianity was in the Roman Empire when it started? They had the same morals that our world has today. Didn't matter who you slept with at all. Didn't matter who you hurt as long as you were strong enough for them not to hurt you back. It was fine. Everything that's going on in our day today was happening in their day. And the church comes in and says, no, you need to be married and have, you know, before you have sex. No adultery, no fornication. You know, you're to care for others. You're to love others. It was just as strange back then as it is today when we preach it. Because it is godly thinking and not the world's thinking. And we just teach it. All we do is tell them, this is what you're doing. But they can't do it unless they get saved. There's no way to live godly unless you are saved. You may discipline your flesh, but it's not a godly life without being saved. And it's what it's all about. And Paul says, because I'm in prison, others are getting bold. <laughs> and you would think it might be the other way around. You know, Paul's in prison. Uh, if, if Paul goes to prison, why should I preach? But he's going, no, others are getting bold. When Stephen was, was stoned, the church expanded. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when people see a Christian under persecution and they rely on God. They see the steadfastness of the Christian and it emboldens them. I've talked about this book many times, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a wonderful book to read. It's a hard book to read. It's kind of gory at places, but it talks about all these people who were killed for Christ and how people responded and said, with their faithfulness, I can go forward. I can go forward because of their faithfulness. The world looks at it. Other people look at it. When you are faithful in Christ, it impresses people. Whether you know it or not, people are looking at you. When you come into this church each week and people know that you're a Christian, or you believe you're a Christian because you come to church, whether you are or not, between you and God, but if you come to this church, people are looking at you and saying, how does a Christian live? If you've dared to open your mouth and share the Bible and Jesus with people, they're looking at you and saying, well, how does a Christian live? When bad things happen to a Christian, what happens? When something happens to the Christian, what happens? And we have an opportunity to stand for God and draw people to Christ because he's lifted up. And they go, well, 
there is something different about them. Or you totally feel flat on your face and people go, oh, nothing, you know, Christians are just like us, which we are, but we're saved by grace and live, live with the power of God. But we look at that and say, God, with your help, with your strength, I want to be an example that draws people to you and have them come to you to say, why are you different? What is different about this Christianity? Many people claim to be Christians and many of them aren't. And there's nothing different about their Christianity. You hear it all the time. Well, you preach, the, you preach that sin is judged and then there's right and wrong, but what about all these other churches out there that don't preach it? I go, well, I can't help what they preach. If they don't want to believe God's word, they should take Christian off their church and quit calling themselves Christian because they're not being Christian. Doesn't mean that we're judgmental, but it does mean that we're going to say this is right and this is wrong. There is right and wrong. How you respond to it is up to you. But there is right and wrong. And God is merciful to us and gives us grace and allows us to be strong with him. Even though there's right and wrong, you know, God is so amazing. Have you ever thought about the mercy of God? Yeah. The mercy of God. He created man knowing that we were going to sin. And we've shared that with you. I don't even know why he did that. <laughs> knowing that Adam and Eve were going to sin. If any one of us had been God, we would, Adam and Eve would have sinned. We would have crushed them and said, okay, I'm going to start all over again. Now they sin, crush them, start all over again. And we would have. We know we would have if we were God. And they were that disobedient. And then come along come Cain and Abel, and, and Cain's really bad. He kills his brother. And man continues to live in a bad lifestyle, and God is so merciful he doesn't destroy everybody. He's so merciful to us as Christians because we aren't perfect. All of us have sinned probably already this morning. If not, definitely by the end of the day. But most of us probably have already sinned before we even came to church. Because that's our flesh. Unless you're really walking close to God, you're going to sin frequently. We have the power not to sin if we want to fully be submitted to him. But most of us don't. But Paul is saying, I'm in, I'm, I am in bondage and people are getting encouraged. This is the wonderful news. When we go through hard things, people get encouraged. And before we have community, just one last story. When many years ago, Lynn and I went down to a meeting in Phoenix area and, and we got down there and our car broke down. <laughs> you know, wonderful problem. I didn't know how the car was going to get back home. And it was kind of amazing. I'm going, okay, God, I, you know, I was, I was doing really good that week. I'm going, okay, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how I'm going to get my car, but I'm not worrying about my car because I've got three days until I have to get home. But you know what? At every break, at every evening, everybody was going, well, what are you going to do about your car? How are you going to get home? How are you going to do this? What are you going to do about this? I'm going, God will take care of it. <laughs> and I had people coming to me and trying, trying to help. You know, they called mechanics from different, you know, different churches. And it's like, one thing I have learned that God will take care of us if we just rely on him. Now, am I always that good? No, not always. But that particular one, was it struck me. It just struck me because I wasn't worried about it. I got three days before I have to worry about how I'm getting home. I don't know how I'm getting home in three days, but God will take care of it. We ended up making a phone call. A guy drove all the way from Kingman with his flatbed tra uh, trailer to bring us back. And then the car sat in my, sat in my house for about three weeks or a month before I finally got it fixed.
But, you know, God will take care of us if we just trust him. He is our defender. He is our care. He is the one that will take care of us if we will just trust him. No matter how bad things seem, we trust him. Does that mean you don't do anything at all to help yourself? No, you go out and you can do what you can do. But you just have faith in God. You don't worry about it. And God will open up your eyes. He will give you the ways to get it fixed. He'll get the ways to fix the problem if you just learn to trust him. Very important for us. Learn to trust him. He is a good father. Just as any one of us, if we have children and our children were stranded in the middle of nowhere, we would do whatever we needed to do to help our child. God will help his children. And you know what? He has unlimited funds to do it. He's got quite a few people to do it with. And if he doesn't have enough Christians to do it with, he'll use the lost world to do it for you. Not a problem to him. He'll make sure that it gets taken care of. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, if there's anyone listening to this message or even in this room that doesn't know you in a very personal way, that we ask that they admit that they're a sinner, admit that they deserve punishment, and, and accept your sacrifice. And Lord, for each one of us, help us to depend more and more upon you that we will be able to come to you and serve you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.